Hello, welcome to Kennedy Saves the World, and it's time for another episode of Kennedy's Book Club. This one is called Healer and Heals. Yasna Burza is with me today. Hello, Yasna. Hello. So this is a very important conversation we have to have based on your life's work and experiences, and I think you could be very helpful uh, for people who are seeing what's happening in Israel and Gaza and and try and make some sense of it. Um, you are not only an author and a life coach, but you were also a war refugee as a child. So when you were nine years old, um, as a, a Bosnian family member, um, your family was separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you and your mom and others were placed in a refugee camp. Your father was sent to a concentration camp. Mm-hmm. So believe. you have, um, you know, this very traumatic real world experience through which you look through this lens and see what's happening in Israel. What strikes you as someone who's been through this for the children who are going through this now? I think that the pain that people might be feeling right now and the uncertainty, I remember feeling um, that no one cared about us. And I remember feeling like garbage, Mm -hmm. like just forgotten part of the world. And that was really hard. It felt um, like we were really, really left alone and no one wanted to come in and help. Did you feel that way? Like no one's coming to save us. No one is coming for for five years. No one did for five years. The bombs were falling for five years. My father was tortured for five years. We're running away from snipers until the Dayton Accords. Mm-hmm. So I keep thinking that about the kids right now. Like it really messes with your psyche and it, it, it breaks my heart. And it's always the women and the children who hurt the most and the elderly. When you think about it in all of the wars and then the, the impact that it has for generations to come for the trauma wise. Mm-hmm. Um, my father was never the same after he came back from the concentration camp. For us also, you always feel like less than, you always feel like you need to measure up somehow. Um, it's it, it, There's so many things that, that I think come into perspective for me, mm-hmm. um, but I'm also very, very triggered by the images right now because it's painful. And I think here we are, you and I talking and walking in you know, Central Park this morning is, is beautiful. And yet there are people who are right now literally running away for, from the, uh, for their lives. Well, and, and also, you know, the point that you bring up, did you have that sense of impending doom when you were a kid like they do in the Middle East? Because, you know, when you live in Gaza, you just assume, I think, naturally that a war is going to break out. I don't think people could put this scale into perspective. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can think about something like this before it happens, but there, there's always a sense of danger. Did you have that as a kid? Not as a kid. When I was growing up, it was a socialist Yugoslavia. Mm-hmm. Tito was reigning. It was, um, it was really peaceful. My mom says it was such a great era um, for, for that region. And I think that what happened was it was the war in Kuwait. Mm-hmm. And then we, we, I would see all of the men sitting around the TVs and watching these small, tiny screens. So I knew something was up um, and I could hear where next, whatever that meant. So there was some fear, but it was, it was pretty imminent within mm-hmm. months the war erupted. So before then, no, I don't remember much, unfortunately, before the age of seven. How do you, how do you adapt to that when, once war breaks out? 
Well, first the shock, and then it's the fear, and then you're you're um, just thrown into this. You're trying to navigate. You're just trying to survive, uh, but then you adjust, and then you become really good at, about knowing where the snipers are. You know that you know that grocery store right there. You can't go there between these times because that's when the sniper is most active. Wow. Or um, we would hear the shelling when the, when they would bomb the town. You could hear when the bomb originates. And then you just had to run into anyone's house or shelter um, as fast as you could. So mm-hmm. you you become very, very good. It's it's kind of sad to, to say that, but we, we got really good knowing what's a good shelter, what's not a good shelter, where we should go, and um, also where we could get food because so many times we didn't have food or running water. So we were, as kids, always always snooping for food because we were hungry. Yes, of course. And, and uh, you develop a sense of ingenuity. So, you know, you learn where things are, but also to make do with what you have. Now, I know that you are a life coach and that is its own form of therapy. So what do you tell parents who's, you know, what would you tell parents in Israel right now um, for families that have either been torn apart or who live in this kind of fear? How do you, how do you survive like that? Well, they have to. There's no other way right now because they're they're in the moment. It's it's a moment of survival. Uh, and and the war could get so big and it could go on for so long. I hope not. Yes, me I too. I really hope not. I pray every single day. And there's a chapter in the book about prayer. It works. It's scientifically proven. Um, I think that for me, the there's a sense of hope that we have to impart onto our kids. Kids pick up so much. It's kind of incredible how perceptive they are. I can look at my nine-year-old and 10-year-old. I will never say anything about certain world affairs, but Mm -hmm. they will pick up on it. Uh, One of the things that my mom did, even when um, dad was gone and we had no idea where he was or when we were in the camps, she would always say, it will get better. Mm-hmm. It will get better. And I don't even know, Kennedy, if she really believed it or not, but that was the thing that authority figures said, it will get better, made it feel really, really uh, more powerful for us. And and I knew the, the realities. Um, we were, when our dad was taken away, we, the men were going around and blowing up houses. And my mom, who is afraid of a mouse today, would spend literally the whole night in a machine gun wow. protecting us. And she would set traps around the house, right? And just like be startled when a cat would um, go go through all of the things that she did for us. So we knew, we, we, we slept on a mattress on the floor um, when we were um, in the house. But no matter what, she she kept saying, it will get okay. And you know, it will, it'll get better. And you know what she did, which was kind of ridiculous. She made us clean house. Every Saturday, she would open all the windows, no matter if they were shelling or not. And she would... Just to give you a sense of normalcy. Sense of normalcy. So I think for for everyone um, right now, if they're in active duty, if they're in the, in the shuttle, there's just... Um, living through the moment, but for as long as it continues, I think instilling hope because children, it, it can really, I think, have a multi-generational trauma and impact on uh, psychological Yeah, and I, I think, you know, people feel that. They they feel that from their parents. Yes. If their parents have been through trauma, yeah. uh, I, I believe that. And I believe it, it changes you. And you talk about prayer working on a cellular level, I think trauma is the same way. And I think prayer is one of those things that can 
counteract trauma. It doesn't take the trauma away. It doesn't necessarily heal a traumatic experience, uh, but there is something very profound about the mechanism of prayer itself that, you know, we're just starting to understand scientifically, but, you know, we'll never be able to fully grasp it. It, it doesn't mean that we should lose faith in something that we can't fully explain, um, but that is a, a very necessary component. Don't go anywhere. More Kennedy saves the world right after this. And it it's hard to have faith when you see people motivated by hatred. You know, that that's the hardest thing for me is I look at this. You talk about how your childhood was before the war. It's like, why would you disrupt that? Why would you make that choice to create even more chaos in your environment, in your home, when you know what it's going to invite, you know the response that you're going to get when you slaughter babies and women and children and you burn people alive in their homes. It's hard to have faith when you know that kind of hatred exists. So how do you maintain that? Uh, hope is the magic elixir. We have to have it. If we don't, we're going to perish. I think one of the things that my father said after he came from the concentration camp, and I had a really hard time because my dad became very violent. Mm -hmm. um, we, and later on, he would tell me all the things that, that they would do to him and to younger boys that he had to watch. Mm. So that kind of trauma that he perpetuated it, unfortunately, going on uh, later on. But I think one of the things that he said, I remember being so angry, thinking, that, you know, I, I hate them, I hate them all. Mm -hmm. And he said, but Yasna, those, those boys, he called them boys, they were afraid or they were following someone else's agenda. Mm. And most of them didn't mean um, to do that. They just, they're just blind. And to me, that was a literally, a, for me, a turning point in my life. I became extremely active in my community. I brought mm. all of the ethnicities together because I realized the humanity. You wonder how can someone commit such hideous crimes? Unfortunately, they happen throughout the world every single day. Yes. But if you don't hold on to the hope and believe that these are really delusional, sick people, and if we even have a seed of that hatred, that spreads like wildfire, pardon me. Um, so for me, I think really important to double down on, on that hope. It has to get better because if I don't believe it, it'll get better, then it won't. And how how does forgiveness play into that? Do you think your dad ever forgave the people who tortured him when when he was, you know, it's like maybe they were rationalizations. Maybe he was telling you what he had to tell himself in order to live with the experiences that he had. But, you know, grace and redemption and forgiveness, they're gifts. And, and sometimes as human beings, it's hard to employ that. Yeah, I don't know if he um, forgave, but I know that I did. Yeah, because I I knew the toll that it took on my mom, on my dad, on all of our siblings. I mean, it split my entire family apart. So for me, I'm I'm fortunate that I'm in the greatest country in the world. Yes, and this country took me in, and like no country in the world that will ever will. So for me, if I move forward, I say, okay, what what will my life count for? What was the reason that I, out of all of the talented, amazing young girls, why did I get this gift of education and living here? Yes. So that's the book. That's the work. That's why I want to be the light in this world, because um, I believe it's possible. I was sitting next to a lady on the airplane yesterday and she said, oh, honey, motivational speaking won't fix hate. And I really beg to disagree. And here's why. 
for me, I was taught to hate, not by my parents, but by the environment. You see what things do, and it's only natural to to have this hateful reaction. But it's the the listening to people who you know who knew better. Martin Luther King, the, the teachings, Dalai Lama, for me, Wayne Dyer, spiritual teachers. I always believed in the better and the goodness of people. So that planted a seed in me. There's a better world, and guess what? You're the one you have been waiting for. Yeah. Because we keep delegating the power to politicians, to to celebrities, to people in power. They're going to make it better for us. Yes. I will make it better for me by being the change I want to see in the world. So for me, that's my my mission in life. Yeah, and that's that's been a very common thread of this podcast uh, recently, and and something that we'll talk about in the coming weeks is you know having to have that self reliance and that self belief. And you know, sometimes when the world tries to take everything away from you, you have to save your own world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And we do have control over that. We have dominion over it. And in, in the book, I talk about the, the energy that now can be measured in the in the labs, energy of our home, for example. Um, energy of, you know, right after we have a fight with, with a spouse. That's kind of stuff that can be measured right now energetically. And if we are putting that kind of energy out, uh-huh. we are we're part of the problem. So instead of engaging, even now, the the polarization that's happening with this conflict, um, I understand there's no excuse to ever kill innocent people and and, and ever, no, no matter what. But this is really not the time to breed more hate. Yes. It's an opportunity to condemn these actions, but at the same time say, how do we get to the bottom of this? How do we not continue to perpetuate this over and over and over again? Yeah. And how do we realize like we may never agree about our religious beliefs, about our political beliefs, but that is no justification for this. And, you know, you realize like if I were a Jewish person, I would be very scared right now Very scared. because the reaction to this, it's not like Americans saw after 9-11 where the world was compassionate and reached out and, and said, I am with you. You know, we're we're praying with you. We want you to rebuild your country. We want goodness to prevail over evil. But here, there is so much blame that is not only directed at Israel and the Israeli government, but Jewish people. And that's a really difficult thing to reconcile. And by having this conversation, by constantly talking about it, it's not the Jewish people. It's not the Palestinian people. It's, it's, it's these extremists who are doing these vicious, yes. horrible things. So I think for me, it is, um, always teaching, even teaching my children by taking them to uh, a temple, taking them to a mosque and taking them to, to a church on a regular basis saying, all of these people are children of God. Yes. Make sure you practice empathy. So for me, talking back to how do we talk to kids today, this is a great time to to really pre- teach them empathy. They're going to go out into the world, into the the colleges. Your 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 you. I know your you have one that played in the yes. right now, but they're going to experience people from various backgrounds. So how is it that they interact with people who of different beliefs, of different religions, and it's it, in in the beginning. Of in of of all of our history, I think we all started out from the one place. How is it that we can have so much conflict over this? Yes, I love you as a human. How can you not see the, the see God in in everyone? Is, in everyone's um, in everyone's face. I agree with you completely, and I think that we have we have so much in common 
And we have to get back to that. We have to find a way to get back to that. And it is one motivational speech at a time. It is one book at a time. It's one conversation at a time because your words may inspire and jostle something that's been dormant in someone's heart. And it may encourage them to be better that day. It may encourage them to be kinder. It may encourage them to reconcile with a family member or a close friend that they have been estranged from. And, you know, that ripple effect that you talk about of goodness, that really can save the world. I really think I, I, I think it can. We're we're talking about this particular conflict right now, but I know people who have literally lost relationships after the the the, the last elections and they're still not yes. speaking to family members. Absolutely. And we can say, Well, what's happening with the terrorists? Well, that's different. How is it different when you are hating a family member based on their on their beliefs, no matter what those beliefs are? So I think that's that precisely you said it like a true healer and heals. I love that. It's it, it really does start with us. And I really have to check myself all the time. Am I contributing to a more peaceful world or a kinder world? Or am I contributing something that could somehow be a seed for something not very constructive or not very beautiful? Yeah, well, it's very beautiful. Healer and Heals. This is Yasna's book, Yasna Burza. Uh, so get it right now. Buy one for people in your life so they have something to read before the holidays. Um, so we all have something nice to talk about over Halloween and Thanksgiving. Yasna, thank you for being here. God bless you. And continued wonderful motivational work. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Bless you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, this is Yasna Bertha. I'm Kennedy. This has been Kennedy Saves the World. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts and Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. Oh, go ahead and leave me a review while you're there. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You've been listening to Kennedy Saves the World on the Fox News Podcast Network. <laughs>